0: So, how are we doing today? My mic battery might die on me, so if it does, I'm going to have to uh, switch here. But today is our last sermon in the countercultural series. Some of you might be saying, Oh man, that's too bad. And others of you are saying, That's great. I can't wait till the next one. Don't tell me which one. We've been progressively working towards something. We've been progressively working towards the final sermon in the series. And it is called A Higher Hope. A Higher Hope. How did we get here? Have you ever asked yourself that question before? Maybe it's not today. Maybe it's another point in your life. How in the world did I find myself in this situation at this time? How did I get to this point? Think with me for a moment about the past 20 years of your life. 20 years ago, it was the year 2000. Now some of you aren't 20 years old yet, and so you can't think back that far. But think about where the world is today. Evil seems to be running rampant. If you watch the news, it's rare to find a story that's encouraging and uplifting when you look at what's happening in a global perspective a lot of people have been focused over the past week on what's happening within our own country right but if you look worldwide it's easy to end up in a place of discouragement now let me be clear I did not plan this sermon on hope based off of an election an election or an outcome of an election right Um, I did put it here in part because I knew that no matter what happened on Tuesday, no matter what side would win, no matter what perspectives people hold, there were going to be people who were discouraged. Yet that's not why we're talking about hope today. We started about talking about being a light into the world and how how we should interact with our world. Then we looked at a whole bunch of different cultural issues. If you missed them you can go back and and check on our YouTube page. Last week we spoke about persecution and the difficulties that come in life and today we talk about a higher hope. We close this series with hope for a reason. Because as believers, we're to live a life that's filled with hope. It doesn't mean that things are always going to work out the way that you want them to work out or your plans are always going to come to fruition or things are always going to be easy. But there's a higher hope that we have in our lives. John 16.33, this is Jesus speaking. You've heard me say it so many times. One of the most famous verses in the Bible, he says this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. To guarantee that you're going to have trouble in your life. the life's not always going to be the way that you hope, the way that you plan, or the way that you expect it to be. There's going to be difficulties that come in life. Things that are un- you're unprepared for. Some people believe that following Jesus means that you won't have difficulty in your life or everything's going to be easier, everything's going to work out. And while everything will work out in the end, it doesn't mean that's going to fall into what you think working out means for right now. See, Jesus says that trial and sorrow, that's part of the Christian life. It's guaranteed in the Christian life. Today we're going to go, and our our main passage is going to be from a book, uh, a small book in the Bible called Lamentations. Lamentations. If you've never heard of it before, it's because you probably flipped through your Bible too fast, right? Open Lamentations chapter 3. It's a short, short book. It's a heavy book, but it's an important book. While you're flipping, let me, let me give you a little bit of history and lamentations. Um, tradition says it was written by the prophet Jeremiah. I believe it was written by Jeremiah. The book does not name its author, but if you're familiar with Jeremiah, he had warned the people of Judah over the destruction of Jerusalem. This book happens after that after the destruction of Jerusalem. But instead of Jeremiah looking at the people of Judah and being like, I was right, you were wrong, you should have listened to me, uh, I look at me, I, I understand everything, and you, and you didn't. Instead, this book is him lamenting over the state of where his people, of where his nation have come to. And how they decided to not listen to God and not follow God in Lamentations chapter 3. And we're going to work through a verse, starting in verse 1. It says, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. This is Jeremiah speaking of everything that he's walking through in his life right now, of what God has allowed him to be. Now, now listen, this is important, right? Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged me and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. Charles Spurgeon writes, This seems to be the hardest part of our lot, that God should lead us into darkness. He hath led me and brought me into darkness. Looking at verse 2. Yet, dear brethren, that is, on the other hand, the sweetest thing about our trial. Because if the darkness be in the place where God has led us, it is best for us to be in the dark. Do you follow what Charles Spurgeon is communicating there? That sometimes in your life, God's going to allow you to walk into trials and and tribulations and difficulties, and He has a purpose for you being there. And we're going to get to hope in a minute, but first we have to set the framework here. Look at verse 7. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy, though I call and cry for help. He shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with the blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. Have you ever been in a place in your life where there's so much discouragement and so much hopelessness that you say, God, where are you right now? Because it feels like everything that's going on in my life is against me. Verse 13. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock of all peoples the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel. He made me cower in ashes. My soul is briefed of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. And we're going to stop there for a minute. My goodness, when you read what Jeremiah is going through in his own heart, what he's wrestling with, what he has just witnessed and been through, this is someone reporting of a war that they have just watched happen in front of their very eyes. This is one of the deepest valleys in life that you could find yourself. Yet, what we learn through the scriptures is that valleys in life are inevitable. Times of tribulation in life happen, trials come. See, valleys don't choose you based on your race or your political party or your favorite type of soda, they just come. Some valleys in life we place ourselves into. We turn away from God. We disobey what he has told us to do. The English Standard Version lists three. uh, ESV.org lists three reasons why Jerusalem fell. And they say this, because of the people's sin, because they rejected what God had told them to do through the prophets, and their leaders led them in the wrong direction. This one didn't have to happen. There are two types of valleys that happen in life. One of the valleys is inevitable. One of the valleys that comes in life is because someone else has done something and it affects you. And some of you have been there before. Maybe it's something with a family member or a friend or a coworker, and you've been dragged into it like Jeremiah is right now. Jeremiah and telling the people, listen, turn to God. Turn away from what you're doing and turn to God. And they didn't listen and the destruction that comes and he finds himself here not because of his own doing. And then there are valleys in life that we place ourselves into. But see, the people of Judah had ignored what God had told them what they knew the Lord was telling them through Jeremiah. He did his part. He shared what needed to be shared, but the people didn't listen. It ended up in a terrible situation that he and Israel found themselves in. But this morning, I don't want to look at Judah. I I, I don't want to focus on Judah. I don't want to focus on the, the people of Judah not listening to Jeremiah. Today, I want to focus on Jeremiah because he did everything that was right. Yet, he finds himself reporting and sharing and lamenting over something horrible there are some valleys in our lives that happen even when we do the right thing Jesus said again in John 16 I've said these things to you that me you may have peace in the world you will have tribulation but take heart I have overcome the world many people go through valleys in life that no one knows about the weight of the world's on their shoulders and you ask yourself how in the world did I find myself here John 16 reminds us that tribulation comes in life. It's unpredictable, sometimes inconvenient, sometimes it just ruins everything that you had laying before you. And sometimes it's not what you did. But it's where you are, and God has you there for a reason. Jeremiah, in his sharing, let me give you a little bit of what he's witnessed. People dying and starving in the streets. We see back in a, in a prophecy before this that this was a time when children were actually being eaten by their parents because they had no food. Think about that for a moment. People were dying by famine and by the sword. People were led away into captivity. Cries out for help that he felt like were being unanswered. It's something he will never forget. What he's seeing and going through here and what he's telling us isn't a woe as me story as much as an account of what he's going through and what he's witnessing at that time. question that we have to ask ourselves at times is why? Why does God allow us to go through valleys in life? Why does God allow us to go through difficult times? We don't always know the answer, but I don't think we always have to because we know a God who does. We serve a God who does. Last week we looked at persecution and how God works in the persecuted church in terrible and horrible situations. For those who were here last night to watch The Insanity of God, it was amazing to watch how God would take someone in such a horrible scenario and use them to change the lives of other people. There's a story in the movie The Insanity of God of a man in Russia who was put in prison for his faith. I don't want to ruin it for you. I want you to to watch this movie. If you haven't seen it before, it is really worth it. You can go on something, I think it's called ChristianCinema.com and you can rent it and watch it at home. We do have a couple copies here at the church as well if you'd like to borrow it. But this man stayed true to his faith on a regular basis. He was in prison for his faith and and every time he'd find a little piece of paper on the ground, he'd write down a Bible verse, he'd write down a song he would remember and he'd put it up in the very top of his jail cell. And every morning, he would walk out and face the east. I have no idea where the east is so I'm not even going to turn there and look silly this morning. He'd face the east and he'd begin to sing a song of praise. And what happened is that the people that were around him, the prisoners that were also there, would shout at him, would scream at him. I think it was about 1,500 people that were within listening distance of where he was and, and they would shout at him and scream at him and throw things at him. Yet he would continue to do it every day. The guards would come in and find the little piece of paper that he found on the ground with the Bible verse and they'd beat him to a pulp. They'd take the paper away. And he did it again and again. And again and he got up day after day after day after day at one point they, they trying to break him they brought a lady by they faced her her, her face to the other side so that, that he wouldn't know but it was about the, he was about the same size as his wife and they, the whole point of it was to try and break him of his faith all they wanted him to do was to sign a little document that says I renounce the Lord and they, something about Western government too. They later brought back a bag with a body in it to make him think that his wife had died. And he told them, you know what, I'm done. I'll sign your document. The guards left for the night and they came back in the morning and they gave him this, this document and they, they said, you, you need to time the sign. And his response was supernatural. He said, get out of my jail cell. The Holy Spirit let me hear the voice of my wife last night. I know she's alive. Not only that, but I know she's doing spiritually well and that she's strong in the Lord. Get out of my jail cell. And he continued to, do, to write and they continued to beat him until at one point, at one point they were done and they were getting ready to execute him. They found more verses that were written and they beat him again and they said, we're going to take you out and beat you to death. And as they walk him out of his jail cell, all of the prisoners walk out of theirs. They raise their hands and they sing the song that he's been singing for such a long time facing the eastern sky. See, this man had no idea that these people that were screaming at him, throwing things at him, that their lives were being changed by the Holy Spirit. The guard looks at him and and they say, who are you? And he says, I'm a son of God. Why does God allow us to go through valleys and difficult things in life? Well, we can look at what James says in James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Unless steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. That endurance has a chance to what? It has a chance to grow. The testing of our faith produces steadfastness. It produces endurance. Dr. Seuss, he had a book called The Lorax. And they made a movie out of it. And when Sarah and I were dating, we went, were we dating or were we married when we went to watch that? We were dating, I think. And we went to watch it, and there's a song at the end of it, and it goes, "Let it grow, let it grow." Have you, have, has anybody seen that before? Good, All right? And I, let it grow, let your faith grow, let it blossom. But in order for that to happen, difficulty must come in your life. You don't move forward without resistance. You don't gain strength without trials and difficulties. God, use this tribulation in my life to grow my faith. Use this pain that I'm going through right now to challenge me. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18 says this, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Every problem has a purpose. Every tiny one, every inconsequential one, everything that you just view as something that's annoying and frustrating has a reason that God has allowed it to happen in your life. He wants to change you. He wants to mature you. He wants to grow you. He wants to develop you. That that time that you're like, Lord, why in the world would you make this happen? It just drives me nuts. Instead of saying, Lord, what are you trying to teach me through this? How can you humble my heart through this? How can you grow me in my walk with you through this? Think of how many times... In the Bible, we see where someone's difficult time grows them, it challenges them, it matures them, it changes them. And how many times God uses someone's difficulty for the blessing of so many others. Horatio Spafford. You've heard the story before, I'm sure. The man who wrote the song, It Is Well With My Soul. Let me give you a very quick summary of it. He was a wealthy Chicago lawyer in a thriving legal practice. He had a beautiful home, a wife, four daughters, and a son. He was a devout Christian. He was a student of the scriptures. He had friends like D.L. Moody and other well-known Christians of the day. But at the height of his financial and professional success, they suffered a tragic loss of their son. And shortly after that, the Great Chicago Fire destroyed almost every real estate investment that they had. In 1873, Stafford scheduled a boat trip to Europe in order to give his wife and daughters a much-needed vacation and time to recover from the tragedy. He also went to Moody and Sankey on an evangelistic campaign in, in England, but he sent his wife and daughters ahead of him because he had some things that he had to take care of in Chicago. Several days later, he received notice that his family ship had had a collision and all four of his daughters had drowned and only his wife had survived. With a heavy heart, he boarded a boat that would take him to his wife in England. And it was on this trip that he penned the words, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot that was taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. God, take over my life. I don't understand why you've let this happen. I don't understand why I'm walking through this right now. But I know you're good and I know you're in control. Jeremiah wasn't done. In verse 21, and I love how the the NLT says this. Remember, he, he has just witnessed all of these things. He's talked about his teeth feeling like they were grinded into the ground, how the Lord had shot arrows at him, how he felt like he was hunted. He was the one. His life has just been terrible. And he says this in verse 21. He says, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. All of these things that have happened in my life, this pain, I lost everything. The world's completely different. Yet I still have hope. He says, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who depend on Him, to those who search for Him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Aren't we thankful for new days, for new beginnings, for that morning when you wake up and you say, Lord, I need your strength today because yesterday I just couldn't do it anymore. Life's valleys have a purpose. They have a reason. We don't always understand that purpose, but what Jeremiah communicates to us, what we need to know, what we need to take from this, is that even though difficulties come in life, there is great hope for the believer. There is tremendous hope for the believer. No matter what valley you find yourself in today, you need to ask yourself where your hope is found. Jeremiah knew where his hope was found. Because if your hope is found in your strength, your finances, a different person, your marriage, a relationship, your athletic ability, your intelligence, you're in trouble. Because all of those things will let you down in your life. Your strength will fade. Your finances will disappear. That person that you are hoping and trusting in could go to be with the Lord. Your marriage could struggle. Your athletic ability can end with one broken bone. Your intelligence could fade with one disease. There's only one in this life who's constant. Only one who never wavers. One who never fades. And the question we have to ask ourselves is this, is where is our hope found? See, for the believer, our hope is eternal. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do have no hope. Our hope goes beyond this life. Our hope goes beyond our circumstances, beyond our difficulties, beyond our valleys. John 14, 1-3, Let your hearts not be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. What do we have hope in? See, if, you're, if your hope is in anything outside of God, man, you're going to be let down over and over and over again. It takes one crash of the stock market, it takes one accident, it takes one disease. Our hope has to be in the promises of God. Knowing that God is always faithful. He's always good. He's always righteous. That God's love and that nothing can separate you from God's love, right? Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. We have to remember the promises that God has given us in His Word. Through every valley, we say, God, you're good. I don't know why you're letting me be here, but instead of me complaining about it and having a bad attitude about it and saying, woe is me, Lord, help me to have a a mindset of saying, Lord, what do you want me to do in this? How do you want to teach me in this? How do you want me to grow in this? Because I'll tell you what, the woe is me doesn't do anybody any good. Yet when God puts you in a place trial or tribulation you have the opportunity to be a tremendous witness to all of those around you we trust and we hope knowing that Romans 8 is true and we know that for those who love God all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose I don't know what God has allowed you to go through in your life or what value you find yourself in now Maybe it has nothing to do with what you've done, or maybe you think it has nothing to do with what you've done. But I do know that God has a purpose in allowing you to be there. There's a reason for it. God doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't do anything by accident. Nothing just happens. God has a purpose. He has a plan. But I know that no matter how deep the chasm might feel like you're in, there's a God who can always pull you out when the time is right. Our hope goes beyond our circumstances because our hope is supernatural. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word which deals with all of the different issues that we have looked at. Lord, it's so easy to find so easy to try and hope in other things. Yeah, Lord, we must hope in you. The one who's beyond all circumstances, above every situation. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Your ways are higher than our ways. And Lord, we can't always tell why you've allowed us to be there. And even, even when we might think we know the reason, you're often doing something way greater than we could ever imagine. Lord, in the most difficult valleys in life, may we look to you, asking you to guide us, to strengthen us, and may our hope always be found in the one who's over all. In Jesus' name, amen.